This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash rubyrogues. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Dave Kimura. Hey, everybody. David Richards. Hey there. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And uh, this week, we have a special guest, and that's Trey Robrock. You want to say hi, Trey? Hey, guys. Now, you've got kind of an interesting business, and you were introduced, incidentally, by uh, Jason Sweat, and he he was a panelist on this show. But, but you're... Your business is kind of in an interesting space, uh, maybe one that is a little bit controversial. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about GreenBits, what you're doing there, and some of the interesting technical challenges you're facing, and then we can dig into how you manage all the data that's going through your system and stuff like that? Sure, yeah. So uh, like you said, we're in a bit of a controversial space. So we build point-of-sale inventory management software for the legal cannabis industry. We've been around for a little over three years now. We we launched alongside Washington State's recreational program back in July of 2014. Um, and we've just really seen tremendous growth there. We're now in seven states across the U.S. and run over 80% of the Washington state market. So the industry is growing like crazy, but it, it is it is a bit of a weird conversation topic, especially with the with some of the family members. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, regardless of how you feel about uh, marijuana, and, you know, it's legality or illegality or whatever. My understanding, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but some of the thing that's interesting about this is that it's still illegal federally. And so a lot of these businesses have trouble doing banking in sort of the regular way that most other businesses do it. Am, am I wrong about that? or No, very, very much so. So uh, the banking system is regulated at the federal level. And federally, this is still a Schedule One drug, one of the most dangerous drugs known to the federal government. Um, so there, there's some weird guidance in the banking system right now. Um, there's this thing issued called the Cole Memo that basically the federal government said, hey, you can bank marijuana businesses, but you have to follow these special practices. There's a lot of reputational risk in the banking industry. So a lot of the big guys don't want to get into this. Um, you'll find a lot of like local credit unions and things like that are willing to to bank the, the, the retailers. Um, but you'll find they're charging a, an extra high premium for bank accounts. So a lot of this industry is is very much cash based. Um, you know, we we currently have about 600 active customers, and we're processing about 1.6 billion dollars through our system a year, and and all of that is in cash because credit cards are not legal in this in this industry yet. Well, no paper trail. I like it. <laughs> that's that's actually the the funny part is there's. There's no paper trail on the, on the purchasing, but there is an enormous paper trail on the tracking of the product, which is really where our product comes in. Um, so when, when the states legalize, they want to be able to 
basically say, hey, federal government, we know where all of our product is. It's not crossing state lines. It's not going to to or from the black market. So they implement this thing called a seed to sale tracking system that literally tracks it from the seed that was grown in uh, at the farm to the, the customer that was sold to. That's interesting. Wow. And when we talked, I mean, this this was the part of it that, at least for me, I was very interested in was, yeah, you know, you have all of this data that is tracking all of this movement through the system. And you've got all of the other stuff, you know, as far as like, you know, them tracking their finances and stuff like that, which you also do. Um, so, yeah. So how do you store all that data front to back, top to bottom as things move around? Yeah, so we have a, a couple of different uh, systems that we talked about. Um, so one is our, our system where we report to the state government. That's that's really just a, a real-time mapping to the various APIs. Um, nothing extremely complex about that. Um, I think the one that, that we, we, we talked about that, that seemed the most interesting is actually how we handle that you know, $1.6 billion worth of sales data and then present that back to our customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really where our, we have a, effectively a real-time ETL data warehousing system that we provide to our customers um, that all of our back-end reports run off of. So I, I had to do the math. So that's about $130 million a, a month coming through the system? Yes, that sounds about right. <laughs> It's still a big number, hard for me to understand. So that, yeah, that's a, yeah, a lot again, of tracking and reporting. Yeah, and again, that's it's only across about six hundred customers. Wow. So these are you know very very high revenue businesses, um, which makes them even more sensitive to to compliance issues where they could potentially lose their license. So what are some of the uh, reporting issues or questions that that they have that you you get to address. Yeah, so they have all of the, all of the kind of standard retail questions like what is my inventory? How quickly am I going through my inventory? How do I? How should I be reordering my inventory? Um, what does my revenue look like? Is today trending to be a better day than yesterday or than last week? So kind of all the standard retail questions, but then on top of that, they also have a bunch of compliance questions of like, what, how does my physical inventory match with my digital inventory and how does that match with the inventory the state has? And there's like a, a fairly complex mapping chain across there because the way the retailer looks at their inventories is very different from the way the state looks at their inventory. You know, the state is looking at plants, retailers looking at products. Well, one one product could have come from multiple different plants. Um, the best way I like to describe the whole system is imagine going to Starbucks and ordering, you know, a latte. And Starbucks has to report in real time how many grams of coffee went into that latte and which tree <laughs> they were grown on. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a great problem to solve. Yeah, it's a, it's a very complex problem, um, which is really where we come in. We try and we try and do all that mapping for you by instrumenting the the workflows in a proper way through the product, so that you don't really have to deal with it as a retailer. So you can kind of run your business the way you'd like to run it, and then behind the scenes, we're taking all that data, we're processing it, we're mapping it into the various way that these state government APIs need to see it, and then reporting that for you. 
do you find that, that that's going to change as well from the state perspective? Is this a very, uh, I, I assume, a dynamic legal environment where the state rules might change more often as well? Is that also the case? Yes, the uh, the state governments change a lot. Um, Washington is a is a great example of this. They just recently are going through a a, a bit of a, a rough patch. Um, they're they're in the process of changing their the seed to sale tracking vendor, uh, and that did not go very well. So we're currently in a state where the old one has now shut down. The new one hasn't come back up. So they implemented a process of needing to upload spreadsheets weekly. So our system is now taking all that data, converting it into an Excel spreadsheet and uploading it to their box.com account. <laughs> what, what could possibly go wrong? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So it's, well, at least you don't I, have to fax it to them. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's version two. Well, so do you ever get a sample of your client's products? Uh, personally, <laughs> personally, I'm, I'm not a, a big user of, of marijuana. Um, that's actually, that's actually something that I get asked a lot, especially when I'm doing, uh, like recruiting activities is what's like, is everyone a pothead sort of thing? And you know, no, we're, we're just a startup company building a real business. Um, I, I think there's a stigma in the industry and there's been a name kind of associated with the can of tech scene that has has made a lot of the companies in the scene look a lot less professional than they are. And I think we're, we're in a period now where you're going to start seeing more and more real, real companies coming into this industry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So with that much revenue, you almost have to, it sounds like it's big, it's growing and it needs to be done professionally. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, if you look at, if you look at squares, um, uh, revenue that they were processing through their systems at year three and look at our revenue that we're processing at year three, we've actually surpassed their numbers at this point. Wow. Wow. So how many r- records a month are you guys processing? That is a good question. Um, I actually don't know that I have that off the top of my head, but I can look real quick, see what we've done today. So so far to this point today, and, you know, it's, it's nine 21 in the morning here, stores open about eight or nine. So we've had about an hour and a half of sales. We've done about uh, 3,500 sales today across about $130,000. Wow. Wow. And that's about an hour and a half on a Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) So let's say your database is growing by... Um, I don't know a realistic number, uh, 25,000 records a day, you know, 365 days in a year, you guys are going to definitely accumulate a lot of data. What's the, uh, like average response time of your queries? Are they pretty quick or, you know, to, I would think going from the sale and tracing it all the way back to the seed, it would have to do some pretty pretty uh, gnarly SQL queries. Yeah, so that's that's really where our sales reporting system comes into play. Um, so a lot of these advanced sales reports that customers want to run would take forever on a kind of traditionally structured database model. Uh, so our the previous company that I was at, which is founded by you know, our, my co-founder here, Ben, 
uh, we built a small business accounting software, um, kind of think mint.com, but focused on small business. Uh, and that was one of the big challenges we had there because in order to run these advanced accounting reports, you have to structure the data in a certain way. So you have to structure it in double entry accounting format. You have to say where the money came from, where the money's going to. It's a very complex model. And finding engineers that understand accounting well enough to be able to change that model on a regular basis is very, very hard. So the approach we took here is we actually said, okay, let's let's take our main application and let's model that data the way that anyone would, would model that, not thinking about accounting. And then we have this other service, which we call Romulan. We name all of our projects after marijuana strains, which is a very easy way to name things. <laughs> a little different than Star Trek, I guess. Yeah, well, that, exactly. That's where my mind uh, went with Romulan. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's where everyone's <laughs> mind goes the first time. And then and then you realize that our API is called Herrera. And then we have another project called Smelliot. And it's very easy to name things if you just randomly pick a strain. Um, <laughs> but that system basically, it runs a... a a Java project called, I believe it's called Open Replicator, that acts as a MySQL slave to our main application database and in real time pulls all of those database transactions that are structured in a way that you know you can hire any Rails developer to model that data. And then it pipes that through a JRuby ETL process that we have that converts that into both double entry accounting format and a star schema data warehousing structure which enables our customers to run extremely advanced sales reports in a very short period of time. Wow. You guys have only been around for three years now? Right. That's a lot of work you guys have set up. Yeah, luckily, this is a a problem that that both Ben and I had been wanting to solve at our last company for a long time. So we had already done a lot of thinking on how to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, the, the scaling of the system has been interesting for sure. Um, but it's, it's very nice in, in the sense that it, it takes all of the accounting knowledge and puts it in one, one single system where we can kind of control who and what gets changed there and enable very fast, rapid development on the other side of things. Cool. So what's your primary database backend for the Rails application side of things? Are you guys using something like MongoDB or Postgres? So we're currently on MySQL. Um, Okay. As we grow, though, I think document data stores make a lot of sense for the type of data that we're storing over there. Um, you know, it's a lot of a lot of kind of transactions. They have kind of like high level metadata and then a couple of line items, um, which makes a lot of sense as a single document. And then people are it's a very CRM ish type system where people want to track like, I don't know, weird attributes on customers like what what hair color they have. I don't know. Weird stuff. Um, and that's where the document data stores get really interesting where people can just start to define their own fields and track those things. Um, so I think over time, our main application database will shift more that way. And I think our reporting system is going to shift more and more towards data warehousing type systems, potentially even something like Redshift. You know, here's a free business idea. Uh, get into the local chains like McDonald's and uh, other local restaurants to do food delivery services for them. So, you know, you get the money from the point of sales from people buying the marijuana, then they get hungry, and then and you have a service <laughs> to feed them. <laughs> That's great. Just, just good follow-up service is all it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so do you have, uh, with all the dynamic reporting needs, do you guys have... Um, a lot of monitoring to make sure that that things don't fall down, that the customization doesn't make things too 
too fickle? We do. Yeah. Monitoring is something that we're constantly adding more of. Um, that system that I just described there was, I think, one of our real first scaling projects uh, that we did and, and implemented a lot of monitoring around that. Um, so I can tell you at any given time exactly how long it's taking to from the time that the database record was created in our application database to the time it shows up in our sales reporting database. And we have an SLA of less than five minutes for all of that to happen. So every single event in our database has to be processed and put into our ETL data warehouse system in less than five minutes. Wow, that's amazing. And are you able to do that on a regular basis? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we... When we originally built it, we were running it all kind of on one process, on one server, as you would when you deploy an application. Uh, and then we had a uh, an event in the industry that led to us acquiring uh, more customers than we were planning on early January of this year, um, which led to faster growth than we were planning on, uh, which led to that system kind of falling over faster than we had anticipated. So it turned into a, a big scaling effort. So we now have one system that's basically reading the bin log from the database server and pushing those events into uh, various RabbitMQ queues. Uh, we shard it by our account IDs. And then we have multiple worker processes working off those queues to process it. Um, so we're actually able to, to horizontally scale that up as far as we need. Right now, we have, have I believe, four workers, and that's enabled us to... I think the last time I ran the numbers, it was like six X our, our current customer base on that on that architecture. Wow. But for the for the most for most of the time, we're actually running at sub one minute um, times on our ETL system. <laughs> so th- this is taking me back. I, I worked on a a large data warehouse at a bank, and uh, sub one minute was unheard of. Uh, sub one month is is as much as we expected of each, of each other. <laughs> Hopefully daily, but monthly was as, at least all we could expect. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely definitely very different from a traditional ETL system where you would you know periodically dump the whole database and then transform that and then load it. You know that's kind of the the E part. Our E part is now just a stream of data from various systems, and then we transform it and immediately write every single record. Um, so. That's why I like to call it real-time ETL, because when you think ETL, you think periodic dumps. Um, but that's that's not something that's that's to the standards of what our customers need to run their business on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> now, when, when things happened fast and it was time to scale, did you guys already have ideas in place of how you were going to do that? Or, or did uh, you have to do some really fast thinking? It took a bit to figure out how to do it. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of constraints on this system. So all of the events from our main MySQL database, they have to be read sequentially because they're a database uh, wall of, of records. Um, and then on top of that, whenever we actually process the records, they need to be processed sequentially by account because you can't create the record for an associated model before its parent was created. So there's a lot of constraints in there that make it a, a little more difficult to scale out. You know, the... The first thought you think of is like, cool, let's take all those records, push it into a queue, and then just spin up a whole bunch of different workers. But there's a lot of restrictions on how those workers have to process the data. So it took us a little bit to kind of figure out how to how to architect that. And then it took us even longer to actually figure out how to roll it out without having to rebuild all of the data. Because at this point in time, it was 
I think about a year and a half to two years in, um, that was a lot of data to have to rebuild. So we needed to do it in a way where we could, we could cut over to the system with no downtime and no loss of data to the point of where we had to rebuild the whole database. Yeah, I think uh, rebuilding database, rebuilding these types of systems seems to be the hardest thing, but the most critical thing. <laughs> if you can't rebuild, then you can't make a mistake, and then that doesn't end well. Yes. So it seems like a lot of this, you know, we're talking at a high level, and a lot of it is somewhat straightforward, right? You, you have a system that pulls the data as it comes into your main database, into this other system that you then build your reports off of and things like that. And you do all the transformations and stuff over there. Um, how long does it take somebody to get up to speed on all this stuff? Uh, so it takes a little bit, you know, we're still a young team. So onboarding of teammates is, is still slow. Um, that system in particular requires a lot of accounting knowledge. Um, there's only a few of us on the team that, that typically change it right now. That's, that's really only me and one of our other co-founders. Um, the rest of the system is, is fairly straightforward, um, given it's just basically a simple rails project for the, for the API side of things. Um, our technology in general is pretty, pretty spread out. You know, we have a native iOS app, we have an Ember JS app, we have a react native app, and then our rails API and that rails API is somewhat monolithic and it's got multiple different services. So that's, it's like a big project that we're, we're undergoing right now and moving all of our clients over to react based stacks splitting out some services and making those interfaces a lot more clean to one, enable our, our scalability, but also enable new team members to come up to speed more quickly. Gotcha. Now, if somebody is working on a system where they're having a lot of these kinds of transactions come in and they're thinking, oh, this sounds really, you know, like something that I, I could use, right? This, this, the, you know, something like this would solve a lot of my problems. How do you get started pulling together a, a warehousing system like this, you know, where you don't have the one month, you know, rollover like David talked about, but instead you're you're looking at, you know, hey, you know, within a few minutes or within an hour, maybe, you know, all of the data, all the data is current in the reports and I can I can pull the data off of it. Yeah, so we looked at a couple of different options when we were first investigating this, um, and I think a few of they all have trade offs. Uh, so we looked at uh, doing this all at the application level where like our controller or our Rails API would actually push events into like a, a Kinesis stream, something like that. And we'd process off that. The, the downside to that was it became much more possible to miss data and a little bit harder to replay events to rebuild the data. Um, so we kind of went the approach of going even lower level where you had to map the database events. Now, the downsides to that is both sides of the system have to know the schema of this one database. So when we deploy database migrations on the one, it significantly affects the other. And there's there's overhead in the deployment process there. Um, but it it makes the this, the accuracy of the data much, much easier to get through because it's MySQL was designed to have bomb-proof replication, and that's what we're baking into. Um, so if someone wanted to build something like this, that's, that's, I think, the first question to ask is, which one's more important, uh, reliability and accuracy of the data, or kind of ease of, of building the system and, and separ 
uh, decoupling the systems. Um, once that's kind of figured out, uh, so I don't have a whole lot of information on that on that second one because uh, we didn't go down that path. I think Kinesis makes a lot of sense for something like that. Um, but if you wanted to go this other path that we're going, uh, we started with the Open Replicator project, and I know there's a, a fork of that, I believe, built by by someone. I can't remember who off the top of my head. Um, but that's a great project. Uh, it runs in Java. I've not found any uh, any Ruby libraries that that do this that are not in JRuby. Uh, JRuby tends to be a, I really like JRuby a lot. Uh, it it kind of opens up the ecosystem of Ruby to some more complex things. So there's some good libraries there to to kind of build on top of this replication stream. And then it's just a matter of, of mapping the data. There's a lot of great information on how to structure a data warehouse. You know, none of that is new. Uh, you know, that the old banking ETL system that was described earlier, it's structured the exact same way. It's a star schema with fact tables and dimension tables. And just a lot of really good information on how to structure that data. And then at that point, it's just a basic mapping mechanism. You know, most of our most of our transformers are like six lines of code. They say map this attribute to this attribute and that's it. Mm -hmm. As a developer, you love building things that are fun and that matter. Me too. Do you want to add authentication to yet another app? Do you want to stay updated with all the security issues and patch them? Why not leave it to the experts? Auth0 is the easiest and fastest way to implement real world authentication and authorization architectures into your apps and APIs. Allow your users to log in with either regular username and password, social identity providers like Facebook and Twitter, or enterprise identity providers like Active Directory, Office 365, etc. Or without passwords, with an email login like Slack or phone login like WhatsApp. Getting started is very easy. Add authentication to your Ruby app or Rails app, Sinatra, and others in less than 10 minutes by writing only a few lines of code. No credit card required. Get the free plan or try the enterprise plan for 21 days at auth0.io slash rubyrogues. That's the number zero in Auth0. Auth0 is trusted by developers at Atlassian, Mozilla, Bluetooth, Optimizely, Financial Times, and the Wall Street Journal. Try it out at auth0.io slash rubyrogues. Remember, that's the number zero in Auth0. And get back time building core features. I'm also wondering a little bit, and this is just kind of a, a toy project that I've been kind of playing with in my head. Um, I don't know if I'm actually going to build it, uh, but um, and just to give a little more context, so currently I'm working on a system that actually helps manage the um, workflow of creating a podcast and having it edited and all that stuff. And then I've also been tempted to build a system that actually collects the statistics for the podcast, right? So if somebody downloads it, you know, it essentially uh, records it records a bunch of information about the request and then, you know, passes it along so somebody can download the media. And I've, I've, I've played with a few systems like this before, but if I wanted to build this system out and then, you know, have a reporting system like yours, um, you know, and essentially then what people are generally looking for is, you know, this episode got this many downloads on this day. They usually don't need it more granular than that. And, you know, just kind of being able to track the progress through the current day or the next day. And so I could see kind of taking the information and then just breaking it out and putting it into counts and stuff. Is is something like what you've got overkill for something like that, where it's, you know, I'm not tracking a marijuana plant from, from seed to sale? Um, or, you know, should I be looking at, I, I don't know. I mean, how would you approach something like that? Yeah, so for... 
like like I said, for ours, it has a lot of restrictions in in the sequential nature of our data. Uh, for something like that, I don't think you'd have a lot of those restrictions. And I think what gets really interesting for something like that is like AWS Lambda, which effectively can can infinitely scale, and you can build uh, interesting sort of like map reduce type functionality on there, um, and dump that into you know a DynamoDB table, or if you have enough data that it's worth it, uh, a Redshift database. Um, I think depending on on how how serious you are on building out the system to to be used by by customers or if it's it's more just kind of like informational for yourself mm-hmm. um aws athena is very interesting i don't know if you've looked at that uh you can basically dump structured data into s3 and run sql queries off of an s3 bucket oh interesting so something like that could be interesting you could have some sort of lambda function that basically pulls the metrics dumps it into an s3 bucket and then maybe an api gateway pointing to athena that runs queries off of an s3 bucket um, something like that, I think, could be very simple to to set up uh, to start on. Uh, and then as you grow that, I think looking at things like Kinesis or if you want to host it yourself, Kafka, uh, as well as Lambda for the processing of the data and then Redshift for the storage of the data. Uh, I think s- a system like that can can effectively scale as far as you could take that. Yeah, and one product I remember around like the reporting of things is Jasper reports. Have you mm-hmm. guys used that at all, Trey? Uh, I've not. I've not used that at all. Um, I've played around with. So we're big fans of AWS here. If you can't tell, uh, <laughs> they make our lives a lot easier. I played around with QuickSight, which is a platform that they have for basically generating reports off from data sources. I, I think it's somewhat similar to Jasper. Yeah. Um, we've also looked at Periscope a bit uh, for something that we could integrate directly into our product that would basically hook into our data warehouse and and give our customers even even more capability to kind of play around with reports and generate and save reports and things like that. Cool. Interesting. So when you're making these considerations, then I mean, what what should you be thinking about? What what considerations do you need to make? Yeah. So I think. For me, one of the biggest considerations uh, is the reliability of the data. Um, so one, so there's there's how quickly can you can you get the data in, um, and what what is that requirement from your customer's perspective as well? You know, for for our customers, these reports are something that they have to have that minute. So a five minute SLA is about as high as we can go before we start hearing from customers, hey, my my data is you know old. Um, so that's that's one big piece. In, in your example, it sounded like maybe daily is good. And I think you can architect the system differently that way. Um, so that's one big consideration. The, the next one is, is how reliable is the data streaming across? So that's why we chose MySQL, because it's, I mean, as, as guaranteed as you get from getting data from one point to the other point in an accurate sequential manner. Um, if you have more tolerance, to, to that being off, you might choose a different system that's a little little more decoupled, a little easier to work with. And then I think the third one is, is how easy is it to, to recover from disaster? Right. Um, so in our, in our case, because we're built off of the MySQL bin log process, we actually have a single script that we can run that basically connects to our master database, replicates every single event by its like created app date, and can fully rebuild the database uh, from scratch. So in the worst case scenario, you know, 
our whole reporting database disappears one day, which hopefully nothing in Amazon goes so horribly that that happens, we can rebuild that from scratch. Um, it would, at this point, it would probably take us a few days to actually run through all that data. Um, but for me, I think those are the three biggest considerations on building a system like this. And a lot of those are kind of variables based on who you're providing this data to. You know, our customers are running high volume retail businesses that are heavily regulated. So the speed at which they get that data so they can make business decisions on it and the accuracy of that data in that minute are both very important. So we made certain decisions that that make some of the maintenance and operations of that a little more difficult um, than they could have otherwise been for something where you only need to see the report daily. Maybe the data is a little less sensitive in terms of like the regulatory nature or, or what have you. Gotcha. Now, as far as building the reports, is that just essentially a JSON API with, um, you know, some kind of uh, charting library on the front end? So we actually connect to MySQL directly right now. So our, our Rails API has a, so we built a, a Ruby gem that implements active record um, and it connects to our, our, uh, our sales reporting database. Uh, and the nice thing about a star schema data warehouse is you can really heavily generalize the queries um, and active record and arrow will make that really easy to do. Um, so we actually have like, I think it's one or two classes that run all of the reports off that system. And it's a matter of saying, I want the rows to be this attribute. I want the columns to be this attribute. And I want the data grouped by this other attribute. And then all of that comes over in a, uh, basically just a list of rows. And then we actually built a JavaScript library that we call pivot table that builds a pivot table um, in the UI that we can then apply a graphing framework on top of. We use uh, something using D3. I don't, uh, Dimple, I believe, is the library that we use on the front end. Um, and then we have our, our own library that will actually render that pivot table uh, as an actual table on the website. Gotcha. Wow. I mean, being able to, to use that schema that way, it sounds like you really can grow in, in any direction that way. Yeah, it's, it's going to be really powerful. Right now, we only have our sales data in there. We'd like to get all of our inventory data in there as well. Um, our, our goal over the next quarter or two is, is to basically have every single report you see on our back end uh, running from that system and not from our other database, um, which is really going to enable a lot of extremely powerful reports for our customers, um, as well as make scaling our system a lot simpler because we don't have to scale the API for running reports. We just have to scale this other system for running reports. How easy do you find or how hard... <laughs> is it when you get somebody new in and you need to explain to them, hey, this is the star schema, this is the way to think about the data. It's not transactional data, it's data warehouse data. It's using a different type of schema. How how hard is it for you to get somebody trained and, and thinking that way? Very difficult, which is really the reason that we did split it out in the first place. Um, so if you if you didn't split it out in order to run these reports, you have to structure your database in this sort of accounting sort of way. Uh, and getting people up to speed on that is, I mean, it's just nearly impossible. Uh, we saw that a lot with our previous team. Some people understood, you know, I have, I have a business background myself. I went to college for business management of information systems. So I did a lot of accounting in college. So I understand accounting pretty well, but that's, that's not a typical thing you see in engineers that you hire. So having them work on a system that requires a lot of understanding of accounting is 
it's just nearly impossible. And teaching counting is boring and learning accounting is boring. Uh, so that's really the big reason that we did split it out. So to answer your question, it's very hard to, to ramp someone up there, but we're also be able to be very selective about the people that can work on that system. Nice. Yeah. I, I had an experience once I was on a project and we had a star schema and accounting data and I had a, for months we've been talking about the star schema and I had a senior dev <laughs> finally just turn to me and say, what's a star scheme? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> so I, I reached right by him. There was a, an old Ralph Kimball book, a mm -hmm. yellow tattered book that it's this, <laughs> read this. <laughs> exactly. Martin Fowler in one of his, uh, one of his books, he goes over the accounting model pretty well. So I like to reference that book a lot when people are wondering about how the accounting works. <laughs> And just for those of us that don't know, what is a star schema? Yeah, so a star schema basically it's structured in two types of tables. So there's fact tables. Those are the that's kind of where the the core of all of the information is. So in our case, those are sales entries. Um, that's the table where you have values that you want to uh, sum up. Um, so we want to sum totals, or we want to sum like how many discounts someone's making. That's a fact table. And that table basically has a whole bunch of references to dimensions. And dimensions are the things that you want to group or filter on. So in our case, we have, uh, so let's take a sale, for example. So we have a fact that is a sale. Um, it's associated with um, an employee fact. So that's the employee that made that sale. So now we can say, hey, grab the facts where the employee's first name starts with X which is a pretty optimal query because it's a much smaller table um, and then grab all the facts that reference that ID and then sum them by total. And now you can see the total dollar of sales made by that employee. So um, to compare that with um, like a, a transactional system, maybe you should explain that too, just so that maybe it makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. And I was also going to add, so the fact table, if you envision that as kind of the central center spoke, all of the dimensions all the way around it, that kind of picture is why it's a star schema. Um, whereas uh, in in kind of our, our other database, you'll see you kind of have to follow associations all the way through. So in our case, because of our inventory model is pretty complex, if you wanted to see sales by product, for example, you now have to connect our sale to our inven lowest level inventory item, which is the thing we use to connect the state inventory to the retail inventory. And then you have to join in the products table. So you now have two joins there, um, which becomes a lot more difficult to manage in, in MySQL and, and run a query on. And sometimes that gets even crazier. You know, you may have like five different joins just to filter on one attribute. And then the table on the other side is also very large because it's like a transactional table. Once you process that over into a star schema, it's just one join and one filter on a very focused table. Okay. Now you mentioned, uh, was it a Martin Fowler book? Yes, I did. Do you have the title for that so we can put it in the show notes? I believe he goes over it in his Refactoring to Patterns book. Okay. That is by far my favorite Martin Fowler book, but it might be the other one which I can't remember off the top of my head. I, I did find uh, an accounting patterns that he wrote, and there's a PDF we can put in our show notes of that he, he posted. Martin Fowler posted his own book, the full book. 
Oh, interesting. Yeah, I don't I don't know that I've seen that one, but it's probably an elaboration on the one that I have seen. Yeah, it's got me distracted. It looks wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, um, anything else that we should go over? I mean, you know, it, it's it's such an interesting and, and broad set of problems to solve. But yeah, it really is. Um, and I think the, you know, the next half year to a year, we're going to start to see a lot of evolution of our infrastructure into a, a kind of unified way of real time processing data and doing interesting things with that. You know, we talked about the our state reporting system, which is a, a model of that. Where we're mapping it to various APIs. We talked about our sales reporting system, which is mapping that to a star schema. We also have a menu feed system, which is mapping our data into into a layout that customers want to display as a menu on sites like Leafly or Weed Maps or their own internal website. Uh, and we're just seeing more and more of these exact same systems, and we're, we're we should be seeing a similar architecture emerge for those. Uh, and I'm, I'm very excited to see what kind of the future of that looks like. I think a lot of the new technologies, especially like like serverless, uh, Kinesis, things like that are, are really going to make building these systems a lot easier. And we're going to be able to do a lot of really interesting things with it. Awesome. Uh, Dave or David, anything that either of you want to ask about before we jump off and do some picks? It's very exciting. It's, I, I, I've been uh, actually <laughs> thinking about other systems I need to solve build to solve the same problem. So thank you for, for sharing all this. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting, just the whole extraction of data, because I think when a lot of people start start off building a application, doesn't matter if it's Rails or not, you know, the whole thought of uh, premature optimization comes into mind where they don't want to start adding in these ETL tools and these other services to their stack just because it adds uh, potential complications. So I think it's really cool to see how you guys have taken it out of the business need to where you didn't prematurely refactor it, but you did it when you saw the spike in January to have a solution in mind and implement it and put it in place. It's definitely a interesting thing. I would have approached it differently, not to say it's right, uh, but just having a read replica of the database and having a separate app that does the reporting crunching and stuff. But it sounds like um, you guys have done a pretty cool thing there. Thanks. Yeah, we're definitely big fans of, of not doing anything prematurely. You know, we we launched our application entirely without this service. We built it like a year in, had to re-architect it to scale it, you know, another year in. Uh, and now we, here we are like one more year in, we're going to be adding a lot more data into it and I'm sure I have to tweak it in even more ways. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Do you run your own freelance business or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side? Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere available from any device uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. 
So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Uh, David Richards, do you have some picks for us? I do. Trey's um, approach to their business inspired me to pick this one. It is called The Three Most Important Things. Uh, I know, how does it go? The three most important things I know about consumers I learned from bartending. <laughs> and it's by Chris Gage, who's a bartender and also a, a software manager. And uh, she um, does a lot of interesting things, making the product fit people's uh, needs, which sounds a lot like what Trey's doing. Um, Dave Kimura, what are your picks? All right. I uh, just have one pick. And... I hate this pick because I swear I would never buy any of these. But I recently, <laughs> I know uh, I'm a I'm a conformist, I guess. Um, I got a pair of Beats headphones, and it's the Solo Three wireless. I found a really good deal on them, so I really couldn't pass it up. But one of the things that has been annoying me is my old headphones. They have just always been like catching my keyboard or I'll stand up and my chair arm will snag them and, you know, like rip my, have my face off along with the headphones. So I finally got a pair of wireless ones and these have been really amazing. The battery life is awesome. And then just thinking across my different Apple devices is super seamless and really nice. Very cool. I'm going to jump in here with a few picks. So next week, I'm going to be in New York City for Microsoft Connect, which is sort of their, like, it's not a conference in the traditional sense. They definitely have sessions for people to go to, but uh, for the most part, it's um, kind of their big vendors that they invite out, and then they, you know, they do announcements, and and all of that's online. Um, And uh, anyway, so... And, and I'm sorry for the little ding that I'm sure everybody just heard <laughs> on the recording because uh, I just have my computer audio fed into this. And my I have a new laptop, but I haven't turned all the sounds off on it yet. Anyway, um, but uh, yeah, so uh, I'm going to Microsoft Connect. There are a bunch of things that I'm really looking forward to, so I'm just going to pick a few of them. Um, one of them is, is that Scott Hanselman is usually there. And so if you listen to Hansel Minutes or any of the other things that he's involved in, um, I'll probably wind up uh, hanging with him. So definitely check out Hansel Minutes. It's a podcast by Scott Hanselman. Um, one other thing that I'm looking forward to uh, doing is I'm probably going to spend uh, a fair bit of time with Carl and Richard from uh, .NET Rocks. So if you have .NET background or you've been listening to programming podcasts since like 2003, um, that you've probably listened to them. Um, I've been on their show once. I'm probably going to see if I can talk my way onto their show again, which isn't hard. It, you know, Richard just said, email me. I haven't done that yet. But uh, terrific show. And uh, they talk about all kinds of interesting things. Um, and then Carl from the .NET Rocks show does another show called Two Keto Dudes. And I've been doing the ketogenic diet. Um, of course, I've totally blown the diet this last week. Um, and I haven't felt very good <laughs> because I've blown the diet. But Anyway, um, I'm back on it now, and I'm really digging it. So I'm looking forward to getting some uh, tips on how to do keto while you travel. Um, And then lastly, just New York City. Um, Last year when I went to Connect, I stayed an extra two days, went and saw a bunch of the sites. I went and saw uh, the Statue of Liberty, and I went up into the uh, Empire State Building and all that stuff. 
And it was just fun. It was fun just to kind of wander around um, Manhattan. So, you know, I'm going to pick that as well. Um, but yeah, just, just tons of fun. There are a few podcasts for you if you're interested in any of that stuff. Um, definitely check those out. Uh, Trey, what are your picks? Boy, I haven't really prepared anything for this. Um, so usually I, I prompt yeah. people if they're not ready. Um, are there any TV shows or movies that you've seen lately that you really like? Or any uh, technical tools, libraries, or anything else that you want to just shout out about that have made your life better? Yeah, so I think uh, one of the big things that I've been uh, both watching and listening to a lot lately is uh, a lot of a lot of Gary Vaynerchuk's content, both his his vlog on YouTube if you're into video content, or his podcast is actually pretty good as well. The uh, the the Gary V Audio Experience, I believe, is 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 what it's called. Um, you know, he especially if you're into entrepreneurship and and business in general. Um, also, he's just got like a, a really great outlook on how to get through get through life and kind of manage different different issues there. Uh, I think that would be the thing that I would call out most. Uh, that's that's had the greatest impact on me in the in the recent past. Awesome. Yeah, I remember. I've read a few of his books, which were pretty good, and then. Yeah, just watching a couple of like wine live library TV, even though I don't drink alcohol at all, um, just to kind of see his personality and get a feel for that. Um, I haven't looked into a lot of his content lately, so I'll have to check that out. Okay. I think you'd definitely find it interesting. He he's a big believer that the audio is is the future, um, which bodes very well for podcasts. Um, so I definitely definitely would recommend checking it out. All right, will do. Um, if people want to see what you're working on now. Maybe follow you on Twitter, or GitHub, or maybe they're going to set up a, a marijuana dispensary and they they need to kind of connect with uh, Greenbits. How how do they how do they do that? How do they do all that stuff? Yeah, um, so Trey T R A E at Greenbits.com is my email address. Um, I am at T R O B R O C K on pretty much everything else, including GitHub, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you for coming and uh, bending my, at least bending my brain. I think David followed all of it, but uh, <laughs> great stuff. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me. It's been a great time. All right. Well, we will be Talk back to you later. next week with another show. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.